Oma Jnana Timirandasya Jnananjana Salakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Rajanolam Bhato Bhujo Kanakabhadato Sankitanai Kapitaro Kamalaya Taksho Vishvambaro Dvijabaro Yugadhama Palo Vande Jagat Priyakaro so, this morning we began a discussion of Gopal Tapani Upanishad. We discussed the invocation, Mangala Charan. And to reiterate briefly, Gopal Tapani is the most important Upanishad for the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. It gives a Shruti basis for their emphasis on the worship of Gopal and shedding light on that worship, method of worship. It sheds light on the principal Shakti of Krishna, Siradha, her method of worship. So all of these ideas, theological philosophical ideas, they have a basis in the Shruti, means in the Upanishads. We discussed, of course, the doubts that might arise from those who put a lot of stock in the Shruti, doubts such as the dating of the Upanishad, whether it's a, one of the original Upanishads, or whether it's a later one, and its authorship is questionable, and so forth. We dealt with all these topics in different ways, so we should have full faith in Gopal Tapani by this time. <laughs> and Gopal, of course, means Krishna, and Tapani means what? Means light, from the root top, light. So that which sheds light on Gopal. What else does top mean? Austerity, knowledge. It sounds like two different things, Bhutavas. What do you say? How does knowledge come by austerity? Austerity means that we have a propensity towards contact with the sense objects and we withdraw from them. In order to think deeply, you have to sit down in a quiet place. So you have to curtail physical activity, activate the, the mind and the thinking power. So it's practical. So when we perform austerity, but when we fast and we feel some pain in the stomach, then sometimes probably we'd meet somebody and he'd offer them prasadam. I heard sometimes on the tape, and man or the lady would say, well, I, I'm fasting. And Prabhupada said, for what purpose? What is the reason behind that? Why are you fasting? So we fast, of course, and we perform austerities in the context of what? Of bhakti. So when it becomes anukul, favorable for bhakti, then we accept some bodily inconvenience. It may be inconvenient to get up early in the morning, but it's favorable for bhakti. So we do that. And then we think, oh, I'm feeling the pain of getting up early, but there's a reason for that. So it causes us to think deeply. So it brings knowledge. Tapa, tapa, Brahma chanted these two syllables at the dawn of creation. And this is the knowledge he got. He got enlightened with the Gopala Mantra and Kam Gayatri subject of this book. And then he had all the power 
at his disposal to do the creation, which was his interest, his calm, his desire, but in such a way that his desire for interaction with the material world was dovetailed in the service of Krishna. And so therefore, by the grace of Kam Bij, Kam Gayatri, he also got entrance into the lok. So Gopal Tapani, Upanishad. And Upanishad means what? Right, sit close. So what's the implication of sitting close? Sit close so I can tell you a secret. That means Upanishad deals with uncommon knowledge, not the common knowledge. Secret knowledge. So what is uncommon knowledge? Some people say that the common knowledge is that which we gather with our senses. And based on our sense perception, we gather a sense that there's a lot of variety and there's a lot of differences that life is about. So some people think actually uncommon knowledge is to know that there's an underlying unity to life and that the differences are really an illusion. There's only one. So while the common knowledge gives perception of differences, Uncommon knowledge is there is no difference. Everything's one. We are all Brahman. All these appearances of difference are just that, appearances. Now, do you think that's uncommon knowledge? Common knowledge is we perceive variegatedness. So people say uncommon knowledge is the knowledge that actually this variegatedness doesn't exist. Consciousness is all-pervading, underlying, and... We are one with that. So, Baldi Vidyabhusan suggests in his Vedanta Sutta commentary that this isn't uncommon knowledge, just the polar opposite. We can arrive at that without much difficulty. Uncommon knowledge is that underlying basis of reality is unified and diversified at the same time. What do we call that? Achintya Veda Veda Tattva. So Achintya, we heard about this in the Mangalacharan verse. Krishna was described as Aklishtakarine, who does wonderful activities without any trouble. And how are those activities accomplished? By Shakti, Lila Shakti. Uncommon activities. As per the Mangalacharan shloka, he has Satchitananda Rupaya. His form is Sat. It's not bound by time or space. So if you're not bound by time or space, then you're everywhere. Instead of being in some place only, bound by time and space. So Krishna is everywhere. His form is everywhere. But he's moving from one place to another at the same time. That's uncommon. That's inconceivable. How can you be everywhere and move? Where will you go? <laughs> but he's moving. He's going to Govardhan, Radhakund. Vrindavan, Goku, Mahavan. So, how do we know these things? Namo Vedanta Vedaya. The Veda tells us this. He's the subject of the Veda, of Vedanta. And how do we know what the Vedanta is about? We read Srimad Bhagavatam. And what do we find in Bhagavatam? Krishna is described in terms of all these inconceivable activities. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu didn't try to reason about them. He more or less just said, this is what happens. This is what the Shastra says. He's in one place, 
Mother Yasoda is trying to tie him up. And she keeps adding two inches of rope to it. He's still, he's he not getting fatter and fatter. He stays the same size, but she cannot tie him up. It means his form is everywhere, but appearing as if he's just sitting on her lap. If we study Srimad Bhagavatam, we find this about this principal topic, the Ashray Tattva, Krishna. So we learn these things. And now the first verse, Shruti Devi is relating to us an ancient conversation. So the scriptures like to talk in this way. Tell a story. Om Munayal Havai Brahmanam Uchu. Om, she says, the sages, it is recalled, asked of Brahma, Ka Paramo Deva, who is the Param Deva? They're asking Brahma, who is the Paramdeva? Kuto Mrityu Bibheti. Who has Bhayam Bibheti? Kuto Mrityu. Who is death afraid of? Funny questions. The Rishis, they think in a different, differently. Kasya Bhijnane Nakilam Bhijnatam Bhavati. By knowing what can all things be known? Kinedam Vishwam Samsaratiti. What makes the world go round? On what does the world turn? As the world turns. It was a long time ago. <laughs> long time ago. The title comes from the Upanishads. <laughs> so, Shruti Devi now begins a narration describing an ancient conversation between Brahma and his youthful sage sons, the four Kumaras. Their discussion makes up the entire Purvatapani. So Purvatapani means the first section of this Gopaltapani. So this is significant. The Kumaras are making inquiry to Brahma. What does Rupa Goswami say? Karunam kurumai karunobharite Sanaka sanatana vanita charite Radhe jai jai o madhava daite Gokula taruni mandala mohite Rupa Goswami singing a poem about Srimati Radharani and he describes Radhe jai jai madhava Gokula taruni mandala mohite of all the girls of Gokul Oh, she is the best, the foremost, the most beautiful. She dresses herself, Damodarati, Vardhanavesha, in such a way as to attract Damodar, Krishna, attracts his love in the forest. She's a fast friend of Lalita and Vishaka. He's describing all these things and he says, Karunam kurumai karuna varite sanaka sanatana. Varnita Charite. So Sanaka Sanatana means Chatusan Kumaras, the four Kumaras. Now what is the significance of Rupa Goswami saying this? He's saying these Kumaras, they worship Radha, who's Karunamai, the abode of compassion. Kumaras are very sober people. He's pointing to secret life of the Kumaras. Ostensibly they are all Gani Bhaktas. But everybody knows they're brahmacharis. 
just young boys. They have no sense appetite. And they are singing about this girl. Radhe jai jai o madhavadaite gokula tarani mandala mohite. The most beautiful girl amongst all the girls in Gokul, that is Radha. Very sober people, they're thinking about this. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is a very sober person. Sannyasi, very strict. But he's always thinking in his mind about gopis. And you cannot always be thinking about beautiful young girls in your mind and remain as a staunch sannyasi. So they must be very special girls, that's the idea. So Rupa Goswami is adding this to the end of his song. And it also, it means that this is a very sober affair. It sounds like a village love affair. And it is like that. It's the uh, prajalpo of, of all over town, the, the Gramya Katha. Mahaprabhu said, Gramya Katha Nashunive, he told Raghunath Das. Don't listen to Gramya Katha unless you get to this Gram, this village, Vrindavan. Just listening to gossip about Radha and Krishna. That is more sweet than all the aphorisms of the Upanishads. Mahaprabhu said, Shrotam ape Upanishadam dure harikatamrita. Harikata is duram, very far from those statements of the Upanishad. Tattvamasi, Ahambramasmi. These things will not get you very far. It means it's far above that land of ecstasy, far above where you can get by uttering these Vedic statements, sober statements. So how sober is it? Kumaras are worshipping Radha, and Kumaras are here in the Shruti. So it means that in the Shruti, in the Upanishads, this is, we don't want to talk just about the head, but the whole body. Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur wanted to give a body to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Everybody wanted to talk about the head cut off from the body. The fact that this smiling face of Krishna, for example, in the 10th canto of Bhagavatam, it has a body to it. It has arms and legs and a structure to it. It's the topmost position. So we don't want to just cut that off from the body. He wanted to attach it appropriately show its connection with Shruti, all these Upanishads, Veda, and so forth, so that we could understand that it, in, it's passing through all these things, all these planes that are discussed in the scripture. We arrive at the end in Krishna Loka, in the service of Radha. cannot separate that. Prabhupada used to say, oh, and some people say to you, we don't read Bhagavad Gita. We're not interested in that. We're not interested in Upanishads. Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasri Thakur came to Radhakund, the most sacred place of Radha, identified with Radha herself. And in that place, everybody's speaking about Raslila and intimate pastimes of Radhakund. Radhakund pastimes are revealed by Gaudiya Vaishnavs. The Gaudiya Vaishnav Smarna and Dhyan of great acharyas, has revealed the speciality of Radhakund pastimes amongst Radha and Krishna's leelas. Very deep, very high, very spiritual, and you can go there, and so many people are talking about that in that place, and it would seem appropriate, but Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasri Thakur came there, and what did he preach from? The Upanishads, Upadesha Amrita, the beginning book of 
Srila Rupa Goswami, sat on the walkway between Radhakund and Shamakund and speaking about the Upanishads. People thought, what is this? Some Ghanis have come here. Say, we've been invaded by some Ghanis and they're disguised as if they are Godias. Talking about Upanishads, we're not interested in that. He was very interested in talking about that there to tell us that all this truth of the Upanishad, you have to realize all this to arrive at Radhakund. So here we find in Gopal Tapani, in the Shruti, these Kumaras are asking the question. And they're asking questions such that Brahma will have the opportunity to explain the Gopal Mantra and Kambij. And so as this Upanishad unfolds, we find Radhika makes her appearance in this Upanishad as Gandharvika. This is the name that Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsati Thakur liked to address Srimati Radharani by. Why? Again, because that is the name that she is given here in this Upanishad, in the Shruti. He wants to say Radharani is in the Shruti. And this is the topic of the Upanishads. I wrote a book, as some of you know, called Aesthetic Vedanta. I happened to be at one Acharya's Mat when that came out, and someone suggested to me that, why don't you give that to the uh, Acharya as a gift? He was a Gaudiya Acharya. So I said, all right, offered the copy. And if, if you've seen the book, on the front there's a little cutout circle and there's a picture of Radha. It says, Aesthetic Vedanta. He looked at the book, he said, Vedanta? And she? I was on the cover of Vedanta? What is this? She is on the cover of Vedanta? What does she have to do with Vedanta? <laughs> I just laughed. <laughs> she had everything to do with Vedanta. Vedanta has everything to do with her. If you understand Vedanta, what it is. This is the emphasis of Bhakti, Sananta Saraswati Thakur. This should be preached. So understand this thing with a clear head. What is the high idea of Gaudiya Vaishnavism? Otherwise, it's very prone to be misunderstood and make a mess out of the most sacred and secret thing. So Bhakti Sri Thakur liked to use the name Gandharvika. Gandharvika is the Shruti name for Radha. So just by using that, he's saying, Radha is the subject of the Upanishads. This is the furthest reach of the Upanishads. This is what they're indicating, pointing to. It's also, it's to say, it's not that we don't have any gyan. The gyanis also like to think we're just sentimentalists. Bhakti is for the less intelligent people. We disagree. Bhakti Vedanta and Gaudiya Vedanta. So the Kumaras are asking the questions here. And they ask in such a way that they give Brahma the chance to explain the Gopal Mantra. The sages approached Brahma with the above question, through which this Upanishad seeks to elicit a reply that explains the 18th syllable Gopal Mantra. So this is the king of Krishna mantras, Gopal Mantra. Gopal Mantra is one of the Diksha mantras in our Sampradaya, and the corresponding Gayatri is a Kam Gayatri. Chaitanya Charitamrita speaks of Krishna Nam and Krishna Mantra. Krishna Mantra, Sangsar Mochan. By Krishna Mantra, you can get Sangsara Mochan. You can get deliverance from Sangsara, birth and death. And Krishna Nam, you can get Krishna Charan. You can get to the feet of Krishna. Sridhar Maharaj explained it in a nice way. 
there are two circles. Big circle and a smaller circle within that circle. The big circle is Harinam, Krishna Nam. Krishna Nam, it means, goes to the highest reach. It is Krishna himself. And Krishna Nam goes to the lowest side, extends itself to himself to anyone and everyone, seeking no qualification. We go on the street and chant Krishna Nam. People have no qualification, no interest, but Krishna Nam touches them. He extends himself in this form to the lowest section of the society. Even the trees and inanimate objects are hearing everywhere. Krishna Nam benefiting. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had a problem when he thought about the method that he came to offer for deliverance. And he approached Haridas Thakur. He said, my method is good, but this chanting, but what about the non-moving living entities? How will we save them? What did Haridas Thakur say? He said, oh, don't worry, rest assured. When you chant in the forest and you hear the echo, he says, it's not an echo. It's the non-moving living entities chanting back. Mahaprabhu was pacified. Even the non-moving living entities benefiting from Krishna Nam. Now Krishna Mantra is the smaller circle inside the bigger circle. It means it doesn't come as low. It doesn't go as high. So it seeks some qualification. When we're touched by Krishna Nam, by the grace of Krishna Nam, we develop eligibility, understanding, then we're going to get the Krishna Mantra. That Krishna Mantra then will help us to draw out what is present in Krishna Nam and will take us to a certain point, Sankhsar Mochan. Liberated. And liberated means what? We are in the Bhakti school. Mukti is one of the subjects of Srimad Bhagavatam. But what is Mukti according to Srimad Bhagavatam? Mukti ritvanita rupam svarupena vivastitihi Two-sided. Removes the negative influence, that is sangsar, and swarupena vivastiti. It situates us in our real nature. So this mantra reveals our swarup, our nature, our relationship with Krishna. In Bhakti Sandarbha Jiva Goswami has explained this Krishna mantra in this way, in relation to Diksha. He says that Diksha means that at Diksha, we receive the mantra in which found in that mantra is a special relationship with Krishna. Sambandha, a particular relationship with Krishna is packaged in the mantra in such a way as to correspond with our heart and bring it out. So the efficacy of that mantra, that Diksha, is to chant that mantra perfectly. Then we would know our nature. Then we have to cultivate that nature actively. And Krishna Nam helps us. When we know our nature by the grace of the mantra, then it's no longer, we no longer need to chant it. Gopakumar received this mantra. At a certain point, he didn't need to chant it anymore. He did Krishna Nam, Sankirtan, and he did Smarnam. He chanted, that means names of Krishna, but particular names of Krishna that were relative to his relationship with Krishna. Gopal, Govinda, Ram. He was a Saka. Gopukumar. He was a cowherd. He chanted those names. Songs containing those names. So particular names of Krishna that were very dear 
to him based on that relationship with Krishna that was inherent in him, which came out through the mantra. And then he remembered about Krishna's pastimes, those type of pastimes, and he went to Golok from Boma Vrindavan. He was all the way to Dwarka and was sent down by Narada and Uddhava. Go perform Sankirtan in Vrindavan and do the Smarana of Krishna. So Krishna Nam then, as I said, goes to the lowest, takes us to a certain position. We get that mantra. We properly chant that mantra three times daily. Pay attention. That's great power. This is the gift of the Guru to us. That should not be neglected. When it reaches its efficacy, then take Krishna Nam and in a special way. And Krishna Nam takes us to Golok and Krishna Nam remains in Golok. Krishna Nam is Krishna. Goes to the background. Service comes to the foreground. And in Sridhar language, Nam is in the background energizing the whole affair. Krishna Nam is very, very uh, merciful. It is said that Krishna Nam and Krishna are non-different, but there's a difference. You can offend the rupa of Krishna, the form of Krishna, but Krishna Nam will still come to you. More merciful. What does Sridhar say about Krishna Nam? Doesn't care for locked doors and high walls like a thief. He enters the heart and steals. Even if we try to keep him out, he finds a way in. He has an agenda. He's active. He's after us. And as I said before, great power in the name. If you know someone's name, then you can know everything about him. Nowadays, it's the social security number. If you know that, you can know everything about it. What it used to be, if you know his name, then you can find it. Did you get his name? So we got his name <laughs> from somebody. Somebody told us his name. He's Krishna. He's the Paramadevata. Krishna. He's Satchitananda Rupai. This is his nature. Akhlishtakarine. Namovedanta Vedaya. He's Guruve. And Bodhisakshine. We heard all these. Witness. He's the Guru. He's the witness of the intelligence. He's the subject of the Veda. So this mantra now is going to be discussed in Gopal Tapani. The principal Krishna mantra. There are different Krishna mantras. Ten syllable Krishna mantra. There's 18-syllable Krishna mantra. And sometimes it's, in, in this Upanishad, it, it's considered a five-part mantra. The Bija, then Krishna, Krishnaya, Govindaya, Gopi Janavalavaya, Swaha. Five parts, but 18 syllables. It's mentioned in Chaitanya Charitamrita and Brahma Samhita. This is our Sampradaya's mantra. We say Maha Mantra, Hare Krishna Mantra. But Hare Krishna Mantra is a, is a Nam Mantra. So it's different. It's a mantra simply of the names of Krishna. Whereas the Gopal Mantra is a, made up of certain elements, certain configuration, arranged in a particular way to help us, as I say, to realize the full efficacy, the furthest reach of Krishna Nam. So, Tadhu Hovacha Brahmanaha. So Brahma, he answered, Krishnu vai paramam daivatam. Brahma's answering. He answers the questions in order. Krishnu vai paramam daivatam. Krishna the Supreme Deity. Govindan mrityur bibheti. Death is afraid of Govinda. Gopi janabalava jnanena tagyanam bhavati. Knowing Gopi Janabalava, one knows everything. 
The world turns through Swaha. So this is, requires some explanation. <laughs> but you see, the Kumaras didn't need any explanation. Brahma answered like this, they understood. We need so much explanation. So what is their qualification? According to Baldev Vidyabhushana, by answering the sages in this way, Brahma, in effect, initiates them into the chanting of the mantra. So Brahma is giving them Diksha. So it's also mentioned in uh, that uh, at the time of Diksha, then ideally the Guru will explain the significance of the mantra to the disciple. Who is the deity of the mantra? What is its efficacy? And so on and so forth. Here the word Brahmana refers to Brahma. According to Prabodhana Saraswati, this way of referring to Brahma implies his absorption in contemplating the nature of Brahman with a view to attain a particular taste in Bhakti Rasa. So Brahma is here, Brahmana, who is absorbed in Brahman. And to be absorbed in the fullest extent in Brahman then we have to come to understand the full nature of Brahman as Rasa Uvai Saha, as Rasa. He is, Brahman is Rasa, as Taitareya Upanishad says. So this is Prabodhana Saraswati's comment. It means he's addressed like this to indicate he's fully absorbed in Brahman with a, a desire to attain a particular taste in Bhakti Rasa. This is our interest. We should be absorbed in Brahman, but in a particular way, to attain a particular taste. The Bhakti Rasa is one. You've heard there are twelve Rasas, but there's really, Rupa Goswami's theory is there's one Rasa, one real Rasa, Bhakti Rasa. But it has different shades, different colors. Shantadasya Sakya Vatsalya Madhurdya. So Brahma has a particular interest. That means he's absorbed. We have a general interest in Krishna consciousness. As our interest develops, we become purified. Then it becomes more particular, more specific. Just like we sing in the morning, Sakshadharite na samasta shastra. The Guru is to be worshipped to be as Sakshadhari. And all the shastras saying this, God before us. Kintu prabhoya priyavatasya. But, kintu prabho ya priyavatasya. He's very dear to Krishna. He's Krishna, but he's dear to Krishna. So there's a progression there. First we see, oh, Krishna is represented here. But as we take advantage of that, then we see, oh, a particular potency of Krishna is being represented here. The Guru, of course, is like the president of the country. He may come from Texas, but then he leaves that constituency and he has to honor all the states and be non-partisan. But he's a Texan at the same time. <laughs> he's a Texan. <laughs> it comes out every now and then. <laughs> so the guru may recruit in a wide way and collect people from so many states. One belongs in California, one belongs in New York, some go to Oregon. And some are coming to his home state, the state he's from, also. 
in terms of his particular relationship with Krishna. Now, what happens if we could get collected up by a guru from California <laughs> and you belong in, uh, in Texas? Then he make arrangements to make the connections for you. That's not a problem. One time I told Puri Goswami Maharaj, I said, that some people say that Sridhar Maharaj, he's in Madhurdirasa, and Prabhupada, he's in Sakyarasa. And Sridhar Maharaj himself said it. No problem. Nothing could have been more sweet to our ears to hear him say such things. But some people complained. And Shudamar said, but I thought it was rather a compliment. They're complaining? What do they think Sakyarasa is? Is it a bad thing? Chaitanya Charitamrita twice, when extolling the virtues of Madhuri Rasa, what does Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami say? He prefaces his glorification of that by saying, all these tastes are perfect and best for those devotees who feel that way about them. That's the first thing. But if we're to draw back and look objectively, we see that, oh, the Madhurya Rasa goes, is the furthest reach. But what's best is what's best for you. Now, some people complained like this, and Sridhar Maharaj replied in that way. But that wasn't the end of the problem. Some people who liked what he said, then they said, oh, just say, if you are in Madhurya Rasa, that is your nature, your sorup, and Prabhupada, your guru, then you have a problem. There's a problem then. You have to go to Sridhar Maharaj. And they started preaching this way, in an artificial way. I told the Puri Maharaj, he said, Baba, he said, if you've got a guru who's situated in Sakyarasa and you think you've got a problem, then you've got a problem. <laughs> that is not a problem. <laughs> that is not a problem. <laughs> Such a guru, we should be fortunate to have. And whatever arrangement is necessary, he's competent to make such an arrangement. So Brahma is referred to as Brahmanaha here, indicating his absorption in Brahman. The Guru represents Krishna, but he has his relationship with Krishna. So as we develop, we will see, oh, in terms of that potency which he represents, and if we're in that camp, naturally, which is usually the case, then we'll cultivate that. Thus Brahma replies, to the sages by telling them that Krishna is the supreme deity because he has realized that within the bliss of Brahman, Brahmananda, the fullest expression of joy is Krishna. So Brahmananda means spiritual joy and the fullest expression of that is Krishna himself. This is so because worship of Krishna involves tasting all forms of aesthetic rapture. As Rupa Goswami says what? It means Krishna is the form of all rasa. It means he's the rasa and rasika and all shades of bhakti rasa can be experienced in relation to Krishna. Like we were talking this morning, why is Krishna the Supreme Godhead? From what point of view? Rasa vichar. By analyzing in terms of rasa, we have to make that conclusion. This is the speciality of Rupa Goswami. This is our claim in one angle to the supremacy of Krishna. So what is the example in Krishna Leela? Where's our praman for this? Vrindaranya? What wrestling match? Krishna's wrestling all the time. One of his favorite activities. 
Why is Krishna going to wrestle in Mathura? He's getting defeated all the time in Vrindavan. <laughs> what makes you think he's a good wrestler? But right, yes. Kangsa invited Krishna to Mathura to wrestle with Mustika and Charana, big ugly wrestlers. And in the arena, what happened? Krishna walked in the arena and Bhagavatam describes, everyone saw him from so many different angles. Kangsa saw him as fear personified. So Bhayam, all the secondary rasas, all the primary rasas. The cowherd saw him and thought, I better get in there. <laughs> better get in there. I beat him last week. <laughs> I better get in there. Help him out. <laughs> Yogi saw him as Paramatma and Shantaras. So there's evidence from scripture. Krishna is Akilaras Amrita Murti. So all potential for joy is found in him. He's the fullest reach of Brahmananda. He is the bliss of Brahman because there's no difference between the joy of Brahman in its fullest expression and aesthetic rapture, rasa. And then, of course, we quote our Shruti Praman, rasa vaisaha, Brahman is rasa. Krishna is rasa and rasa is Brahman, rasa vaisaha. In asking, who is death afraid of? The learned sages indirectly reveal their regard for knowledge and divine love, jnana and prema by which death is transcended. Thus, in this verse, Brahma replies that death is afraid of Govinda, which refers to the source of revealed knowledge, the Vedas, as well as he who gives pleasure to the spiritual senses of his devotees and the cows. It's all implied in the name Govinda. By giving transcendental bliss to the spiritual senses of his devotees, he turns them away from material sense objects. And attachment to sense objects is death. <laughs> that is what death is. In other words, death is not a problem for someone who's not attached to sense objects. The only reason death is a problem is because we are attached to sense objects, material manifestations, we cannot hang on to. Therefore, it's a problem. Solve the problem of death simply. <laughs> not so easy, but the transformation will take place, but it's not a problem if one's not attached. And death is for everyone, right? That is the problem for everyone. And this is why. So, Govinda is who death is afraid of. He gives transcendental bliss to the senses of his devotees. He attracts them, that means, away from sense objects by his beautiful pastimes. He displays his beautiful pastimes and we become attracted to them. We become absorbed in pursuing that life. If you can't beat them, they say, join them. We're trying to enjoy, but when Krishna reveals his leela, it's apparent. No one can enjoy like that. He's the supreme enjoyer. In Jagannath Puri, he can eat 54 offerings a day. He's the supreme enjoyer. So we are trying to be the enjoyer, but he, he sets an example. No one can enjoy like me. I am Rasaraj, the king of love, the king of enjoyment. So if you hear sufficiently about him, you conclude, well, if I join him, I can, I can be part of that. Just like all of us want to do whatever we want, whenever we want. That's what we want. But gradually we grow up and we are told, you can't do whatever you want, whenever you want. But the people who are involved in this Krishna consciousness, they don't believe that propaganda. They believe, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. There's a place like that. Must be. 
That's what Krishna is doing. Whatever he wants, whenever he wants, he does. So by making our will one with Krishna's will, then we can do whatever we want, whenever we want. No work, play only. So Krishna's pastimes tell us that, so we become attracted, so then we lose our attraction for sense objects, and then the death loses its grip on us. So death is afraid of Govinda. By giving transcendental bliss to the senses of the devotees, he turns them away from material sense objects, attachment to which brings about the illusion of death. Really, it's just a change, just a transformation. He does this by attracting his devotees to his pastimes with the cows of Gokul, the eternal spiritual place manifest on earth, where even Asuras, killed by Govinda, attain freedom from the cycle of birth and death. So this Govinda is the name of Krishna, but it's relative to his Brajalila. When Krishna goes to Mathura, is he Govinda? Cowherder? No. Not in that sense of the name. When he goes to Dwarka, no, he's a prince. Govinda particularly refers to his, his cowherding leelas. And what happens in those cowherd leelas in Boma Vrindavan? Krishna goes herding every day with the cows and his friends. And what happens? So many demons coming and he kills them effortlessly, charming all of his friends. They're applauding him. Now, when he kills those demons, what happens to them? There are in special instances. In Vrindavan, he overrides all the rules. He is fully independent. He does whatever he wants. He gave Putana Vatsalya Rasa. When Krishna goes to Mathura and Dwaraka, then he also kills so many demons. But there, he abides by the religious codes. When he kills these Chetriya demons in battle, they go to heaven or they get liberation, but he's not giving them love of God. But in Vrindavan, Putin's example is there because he goes that far, he has that power. So what is the position of death then in relation to this person, Govinda, who can override all the religious rules, who can take some person who is attacking him and give him, that person, the highest bhakti, like that of his mother, so there may be other ways to overcome death through jnana, vaidhi bhakti, and get different kinds of liberation. But to enter into Golok in the Braj Lila eternally, that is a very uncommon, very rare thing. So Krishna in Vrindavan is very special as Govinda. This is the idea. Jiva Goswami comments that in Gokul, Govinda is completely unreserved and thus sometimes grants asuras, he kills, love of God. This is in contrast to the leelas in Mathura and Dwarka where Krishna is not a cowherder but a prince. There he is more restrained and thus respects the religious system and grants the demons he kills either heaven or liberation. For these reasons, death is particularly afraid of Govinda. So Govinda is the real solution to the death problem. Brahma next replies that Knowing Gopi Janabalava, one knows everything. It means knowing Govinda is not enough. Gopi Janabalava means Govinda. It's the same cowherder, but it reveals the influence of the gopis 
upon him. So knowing that aspect of Krishna means knowing everything. That is a Swayam Bhagavan who stands next to Radha in whom everything else is found. So we go to Vaishnavas, we know about that. Everybody in Vrindavan knows something about that. Everybody's participating in that in some respect. Shidharmash once told me, in Golok, everyone is touched by Madhurya Rasa. Just like in the material world, everyone is touched by sex desire. Everyone is touched there in some respect. So, Krishnaya, Govindaya, Gopi, Janabalavara. Jiva Goswami has commented elsewhere that the term Gopi refers to material nature and Jana, its 25 elements. Shijiva explains that he who is the resting place of these two pervades them and is the cause of their manifesting as the world is also joy personified and known as their balaba or master. So in a lower sense, he's the master of the material elements. So knowing him, one can know everything about the material world. Alternately, Gopi Jana Balaba is he who is the husband, Balaba, of the gopis who... What are they about? They exemplify the highest ideal of enlightened life. Knowing the Absolute as Gopi Janabalava includes knowing all other manifestations. That form of Godhead that corresponds with the highest devotion is the most complete form of God. Thus, knowing Gopi Janabalava, one knows everything, material and spiritual. And then, Swaha is that which makes the world go round. So what is swaha? Swaha means sacrifice. When we do the sacrifice, we do swaha, swaha, swaha. So we talked the first night about what? Trees. What was the significance of those trees? Their whole life is a sacrifice for others. So sacrifice we spoke about is what makes the world go round. The whole world is actually, if you want to know the key to how the world works, it works by giving. By giving, then you get. That's the secret, how it works. We think that by trying to get, we'll make out. And if we don't try to get, well, we'll be unfortunate. But the secret is so simple. It's so simple that it escapes us. By giving, you get. So Swaha makes the world turn. The world turns by Swaha. Swaha indicates sacrifice. It is uttered when offering oblations to the sacrificial fire. Thus it is that which makes the world turn. Sacrifice is the principle by which we live happily in this world and by which we transcend it as well. We truly gain only through giving. When we give of our possessions, we gain in the realm of material acquisition and to the extent that we give ourselves, we gain understanding of our nature. This is the whole secret when we learn that when we give of ourselves, we get. So material possessions may be ourselves in the extent that we are identified with them. But the more that the sacrifice is one of ourselves, rather than, that's why we shouldn't just give things that, well, I don't need this anymore, I'll give it to the temple. <laughs> Not like that. So the more we give of ourselves, the more we gain understanding of what is our real nature. Thus, 
the mantra under discussion, propitiates the supreme deity, brings about an end to death, and reveals all knowledge through the highest love. The names Krishna, Govinda, and Gopijana Bhalabha indicate a progression ascending from Krishna to Govinda, who is the cowherder, and Vrindavan to Gopijana Bhalabha, who is the same cowherder conquered by the gopi's love. The heart of the mantra's utterance involves the spirit of self-sacrifice properly reposed. When this spirit of self-sacrifice turns to self-forgetfulness in love, it's called Prem Shakti. Prabodhananda Saraswati comments that this Prem Shakti embodied in the gopis is indicated in the syllable Swa, while the syllable Ha indicates devotion to Krishna. Taken together as Swaha, they indicate the gopis belong only to Krishna. And Swaha, in this sense, also means Yogamaya, makes that spiritual world turn. Text three. Tadu Hochu Ka Krishnaha Govindas Chako Saiti Gopijana Balavaka Ka Saiti. The sages then asked, Who is Krishna? And who is Govinda? And who is Gopijana Balava? And who is Swaha? They're very interested. They're wide awake. Prabodhananda Saraswati comments that the sages are inquiring into confidential subject matter without the slightest hesitation. They were wise and self-controlled, yet eager to know the mystery of the mantra. Their eagerness is an important element in the makeup of their eligibility for receiving the mantra. So, we talked with regard to the first verse, the Mangalacharan verse, about the Adhikaran the person who's eligible to enter into the mystery of the text. Like we said, not everybody can go to the San Francisco, what's it called, conservatory, and get a master's degree in music, or else they have to get their bachelor's degree in music. So not everybody can understand the Skopal Tapa New Upanishad or any of the books. So it's for a certain type of person. And what did we learn? We learned from the invocation that, that the Adhikaran for this book for entering into the mystery, is one who's cultivating pure devotion, who doesn't want to get anything material from it, but wants bhakti. Now, what is the qualification for bhakti? What does Rupa Goswami say? Shraddha, faith. This is introduced in the beginning of the second chapter of the first division of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Rupa Goswami begins to explain the principles of the angas, the limbs of Vaidhi Bhakti. And before he does that, he explains who's qualified to take up this Vaidhi Bhakti. And he describes three types of persons who are eligible, all of whom have different degrees of shraddha, faith. Komal shraddha, tender faith, the Karan, one who has firm faith, the Karan, and one who has the deepest Realized faith, Uttamadikari. Now, this prefaces the whole section of Vaidhi Bhakti. After Rupa Goswami describes Vaidhi Bhakti, Vaidhi Bhakti means what? Bhakti that's motivated by human logic and the scriptural do's and don'ts. If you do this, this is going to be good for you. If you do that, that's going to be bad for you. 
And so we do bhakti because it's the thing to do. And it, it makes sense. It's reasonable. This is called Vaidhi bhakti. But then he describes another kind of bhakti. It's called Raganuga bhakti. Then he describes the, the qualification for Raganuga bhakti. Then the adhikaran. What is the adhikari for Raganuga bhakti? Eagerness. Bhakti Vinotakura has given a nice explanation. He says that there's Kanishtadikari, Raghunuga Bhakta, Madhimadikari, Raghunuga Bhakta, Uttamadikari, Raghunuga Bhakta, and their position is relative to their faith, Shraddha, that is Lobamai. Lobamai Shraddha. It's faith also in the efficacy of, of Bhakti and the supreme position of Krishna. We have faith in that, so therefore we enter in. But it's combined with a certain kind of uh, eagerness. Now, think about it, and I think we'll all agree that we all joined this Sampradaya because we were interested in Krishna. <laughs> Krishna, the cow herder, flute player, we're interested in Krishna. I've told the story before that I was outside the Los Angeles temple in the early days when I joined, and a devotee named Mahapurush, he said to me, you know, only a few devotees go to Goloka. Most of the devotees go to Vaikuntha. And it was a great cause of dismay to me. I began to cry. What? Are we going to go to Vaikuntha? It's not possible. <laughs> you want to go to Krishna's planet. <laughs> you want to serve Krishna. So we're all interested in that. But we're not very interested. We're not extremely eager. But we're, if we're eager for anything with regard to spiritual life, it's that. So that means we have Kanishtadikari on this path. So we're qualified to tread the path, but not very qualified. Therefore, we need help from Vaidhi Bhakti, give some support. And as our faith and eagerness develops, then the need for human reasoning or scriptural injunctions and stuff with it falls off. When someone shows a fault in the logic, it's, well, anyway, so what? Hare Krishna, it <laughs> doesn't matter. In the beginning, oh, to puncture my faith. Oh, goodness, for somebody. That's devastating. I'm explaining it in a simple way. The point is here is that this, the topic is Krishna's worship, Gopal, means Govinda of Golok, and Kokul, Vrindavan, Boma Vrindavan. This is the mantra about him, Govinda, Gopijana Vallava. This is the mantra of our Sampradaya. So the sages are inquiring, without any hesitation, although it's very secret subject matter. So that has to be taken note of then. I remember when I was once in Chicago, in the temple, and I was in Prabhupada's quarters with some devotees, and you know how the, uh, the managing devotees would appropriately try to keep Prabhupada from being bothered unnecessarily. But sometimes they went a little overboard. They would make announcements like, only the sannyasis and the GBC can go on the walk this morning with Prabhupada and that kind of thing. It's understandable. Everybody might have gone out the door. But some people, in spite of those announcements, they went anyway. I did that. <laughs> I hear that announcement. I went anyway. In my poor. And no one could say anything. Prabhupada would ask me, so, well, uh, Tripurari's here. What, what are they saying? 
This is before I took sannyas. That was one of my principal motivations for taking sannyas. I wouldn't have to deal with that anymore, those guys. <laughs> but I was in Chicago once. It was in Prabhupada's rooms. It was the year I had taken sannyas, 1975. And Prabhupada was talking, and all of a sudden there was a crash outside. And everybody, what is that? And opened the window, and there was a devotee named Premarnava. And he had climbed up on something, was hanging on, listening in the window to hear what was going on in there. And he slipped and fell and disturbed the whole thing. So the managers were very upset with him, but Prabhupada said, bring him in. <laughs> He's so eager to hear. Bring him in right away. <laughs> Chaitanya Mahaprabhu used to view the Jagannath from the Garuda Stamba at a distance ever since the first time he went in the temple. First time he came to the temple, coming from Shantipur, Advaita Bhavan. He came with a few devotees and at a certain point in the journey, Nityananda Prabhu, when he fell in ecstasy, he took the danda the staff of Mahaprabhu and broke it three places and threw it in the in the river. Mahaprabhu was externally upset. Why well, you've done that? The Dunda, all the gods are in the Dunda and it's worshipable and it's my sannyas Dunda and you've broken it. Nityananda Prabhu just looked at him like, I don't want you carrying a Dunda. Exemplifies by Raga, detachment, austerities, all these things. You're the supreme enjoyer. You're my brother, Krishna. <laughs> Mahaprabhu then ex showed externally some disturbance and he went ahead without them, leaving Jagadananda, Nityananda a couple of others behind. And when he came to Puri, and he saw the, the tower, towering temple and the chakra at the top, he began to fall down in ecstasy at every step, as if he was paying his dandavats, laying out, dandavat means to lay out, prostrate oneself. His ecstasy was falling over and getting up, falling over and getting up. And he entered the temple, and he saw Jagannath, and he passed out in a swoon. And the people who were maintaining the temple, they started to beat him. Crazy man has come in the temple. A crazy person causing a disturbance before God, the Lord of the universe, dancing, swooning, passing out, lying down in front of the deity. They should be standing up, respectful, hands folded. It's the Lord of the universe. A crazy has come in. Off the streets, somebody got through the gates. They wanted to beat him, but the, someone managed to stop, and, and Sarvabhoma was called. Bhattacharya Sarvabhoma. Maybe Gopinathacharya, his brother-in-law, stopped them. And Bhattacharya came and he said, Oh, he's a sannyasi, and he's in a very exalted state of trance. He put some cotton swab by his nose to see if he was alive, barely breathing. Deep he went internal, in samadhi. What the charge arranged to have him brought to his house and so forth. And so from then on, Mahaprabhu was cautioned. He cannot go in the, directly in the temple. It will be dangerous for him. His own safety will be jeopardized by looking at the deity. So he used to stand then at the Garuda Stamba some distance. If he got too close, it would go to pieces. So one day he's standing at that Garuda Stamba, having the darshan of Jagannath. And what happened? A lady jumped on and climbed on his shoulders. <laughs> Mahaprabhu was seven feet tall. So he had a good view from the stamba. And some lady climbed in the crowd, just grabbed onto him and got on his shoulders to see Lord Jagannath. Mahaprabhu's men said, Get down from there! As Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, Nyasi, your lady jumping on top of him. What is this? Mahaprabhu said, No. 
If I could only have the eagerness like her, my life would be successful. That I could cross over all rules and just to see Jagannath. This kind of eagerness. That is a adhikar for Raghunuga Bhakti. Raghunathas Goswami had that kind of eagerness. Raghunathas Goswami was surrounded by his parents' arrangement with every possible material amenity that you could imagine. He had five servants, and they were wealthy. They made all arrangement to keep him within the material life. He could be religious, that's fine, but not a madman like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And they knew he was interested in following Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He went to Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu said, don't be crazy. Don't be a crazy man. He said, go home, live a religious life, and uh, if you're really eager for this, a time will come. Mahaprabhu tested his eagerness. He didn't just say, oh, you're eager for Raghunuga Bhakti. Here, I'll give you your siddhadeha and all you, here's everything. You're ready now. No. Raghunathas Goswami. Mahaprabhu sent him home. We're not just collecting all the people off the street. Come on, shave up now. Wait, hold on. Let's see. Do you know what this is about? Yes, you should chant, but on what level you should be involved and so forth. So Mahaprabhu sent him home, and of course he went, he stayed home. He was surrounded by his material amenities, all those things that would cause us to forget about Krishna consciousness. But he didn't forget about it. He was looking for the opening, just looking for the chance to make a break. His eagerness was not diminished, but only increased. One day, there's a Diksha Guru, Nandanacharya, asked that uh, the Pujari is sick. Could you do the puja today? Yes. He went, that meant he had to go a little distance to do the puja, and he got out there and he, and he neglected the puja altogether. And he just ran through the countryside to meet Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Puri. He didn't go on the main road. You see how his intelligence was working? To assist him in his rag, his passion for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's association. He didn't go on the main road. He thought that would be the quickest way, the safest way. But that's the first place they'll look for me. They'll come out at me with a whole group of elders to bring me back. He went through the forest on foot, no conveyance, to the countryside, and he stayed in a cow barns, lying on the ground, not caring about eating, not caring where he slept. Twelve days it took him to reach Jagannath Puri. And the posse was out on the road looking for him. <laughs> Couldn't find him. His mother said, We've got to get him, bring him back, and we handcuff him. Her husband said, what will the handcuffs do? Some rope, metal to tie, chains, what will that do? He's broken the chains of material attachment. This is much heavier than any physical handcuff. He acquiesced. He's gone to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is Raghunuga Bhakti. Full Raghunuga eligibility. We have little interest in Krishna consciousness, little interest in going to Krishna. But because it's Krishna, in Golok, we're interested in... We can't say we're on the path of Raghunuga Bhakti. We're not interested in going to Vaikuntha. But we have to somehow fan the spark of that interest to look terms to, to greediness. So the sages here, without any hesitation, they're asking about these things, the significance of this. 
indicates that they are qualified to enter into the mysteries of this Upanishad. The 18th syllable, Krishna, or Gopal Mantra, reveals the mystery of Krishna in his intimate leelas in Braja. Those who receive it must be eager to awaken a relationship with Krishna and participate in the Braja leela. According to Bhaktivinoda Thakur, this eligibility is called Lobhumai Shraddha. In other words, the Shraddha is pregnant with Lobha, with this kind of particular eagerness or greediness. Faith mixed with spiritual greed or eagerness, as opposed to Shraddha or general faith in God, Lobha or eagerness, literally greed, is appropriate term with regard to Krishna because it denotes the nature of love for Krishna in Braj, which obscures the reality of his godhood, just as worldly greed obscures our sense of the dignity of ourselves, causing us to act inappropriately. You understand? When we're greedy, then we act inappropriately by the force of that. So, people that are greedy for Krishna, for the Absolute, in such a way, they act inappropriately with the Absolute, like Mother Yasoda, chastising the Absolute Truth. What is that? Cowherds telling him he's not so strong. Gambling, they like to gamble. Gamble with him and win, make a bet, and he has to carry them on their shoulders. This is not an appropriate way to deal with God. Well, to speak of gopis, it's not an appropriate way to deal with God. That's why this term is, is used. We can understand it in that way. Greed obscures the godhood of God, forced by the greed, the dignity of Krishna. As we said, Jagannath, Lord of the Universe, obscured by his attachment for gopis, dragged it down. So you have to understand that this is a high thing. We say we have just a little bit of this kind of interest only. Full-fledged interest in this, which is the ticket. What does the scripture say? Janma koti sukutibhirnalabdite Krishna bhakti rasa bhavitamati kriyatam apikutopilabdite Tattva lolyam apimolyamekalam Janma koti sukutibhirnalabdite Tattva lolyam apimolyamekalam Only by this read is it possible. Not by hundreds of births, lifetimes of pious activities, and you get the Krishna Bhakti Rasa. It's purchased only by this price. So, in the general sense, we should focus our interest in it. We want Krishna Bhakti. We want to be uh, served in this capacity, in relation to Krishna and Goloka. That is our prospect in life. It is inappropriate to act in relation to God as if he were our friend or lover. But as Krishna God places himself in the hands of his devotees to do with him as they like. There was a, a very nice Ramanuja Bhakta, Vaikuntha Bhakta in South India that I met once, and Sringamarsh introduced me to him. And uh, he was a principal in the Sanskrit school in Melkoti, I think it was. And we went there and he served prasad to us and all. Very nice man, very, very devoted, advanced devotee. Married man, but had the deity of Lakshmi Narayan in his house, and he was very well known in the Sampradaya. So, Maharaj would talk to him about Krishna, and he would he would like it, and he would become a little jolly, even. So we were sitting and taking prasad, and the Shingamar said, I forget his name. He said, "But Prabhu, 
You know, I add a question that when we talk about Krishna, I see that you actually become a little jolly. So Maharaj is kind of like going to preach to him about Krishna consciousness over Narayan consciousness. It actually, it actually makes you happy. He says, yes, yes. Krishna is very sweet. And he says like this. Then Maharaj said, but when we talk about Narayan, you, you don't seem like this. That is another thing. <laughs> that is another thing. <laughs> oh, I was so happy to see that. He had such staunch faith in Narayan. Krishna is an avatar of Narayan from their point of view. Yes, Narayan. Like that, you could think like that is happy. Narayan, that is another thing. Om, Narayan, Narayan. <laughs> it charmed me to see that. When Balab, the brother of Rup Sanatan, was convinced by Rup Sanatan one night, we should worship Radha Govinda. This is the highest ideal. He said yes. But he was a of Ram. He made a pact with his two brothers, but he went to bed at night and couldn't sleep. He couldn't give up the idea of giving up Ram. When Mahaprabhu heard that, he said, Oh, see, glorious is that devotee who cannot give up his Lord, and glorious is that Lord who will not give up his devotee. A side point now. Here's Balab, brother of Rup Sanatan. He had association of Rup Sanatan. What better association could you get? And they're preaching him about Radha Govinda. Why didn't he develop love for Radha Govinda instead for Ram? Because that was innate in his heart. So it's not merely a product of our association. Association will bring out what's in our heart, what's dormant there. This is the teaching of Bhakti Thakur. It appears from this Upanishad that the Kumaras, who are generally portrayed as Jnani Bhaktis, have some secret connection with the Brajlila and Gopal Mantra. Rupa Goswami has also mentioned them in relation to Radha in his stava. We sang that a little bit. Radhe Jai Jai Madhava. In the least, their interest in Radha Krishna Lila serves to illustrate its spirituality in spite of its appearing on the surface to be akin to material love. We stop there.